Good morning, everybody. I just want to remind everybody that on the 5th of February, we will be uh, talking with Mark Barnes, who is the owner of Copper Canyon Tax Service. So if you've got tax questions, get them ready. Call in at 790-2040. He will be answering the question about Bitcoins and how that relates to your taxes as well. And we want you to check out our events page on our website. 88 Crime has posted their upcoming event there. All the details are available there. Okay, on the phone, this is going to be fun. On the phone, we have Jim Fotis, who is the Executive Director of Police Defense Coalition, and Jim Parks, who is the Executive Director of ASCOPS. Uh, Jim's, <laughs> can you hear me? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. I can hear you. <laughs> This is you. Okay, great. Okay, I want to I want to start out with Jim Fotis because you've you've pretty much got your your thumb on the pulse of what's going on in this nation. How are how are things developing? Are things getting better between law enforcement and the communities? What's going on? Well, I think what's going on is things are good between law enforcement and certain communities right now in New York, of course, the communities are begging for street crimes units to come back and things that were put in under the Giuliani's uh, reign in New York and, uh, you know, broken windows, things like that. But last night we had two police officers. One was killed. One is in critical condition in New York. It's going to a, uh, uh, to a home disturbance, and uh, there are just there were five so far shot in New York City, and we've got them going around the country already. I believe uh, I'm not uh, sure of the number yet, but I believe there are nine police officers already killed this month. Uh, we had a record year last year of police officers that had been shot ambushed, uh, 65 were killed by gunfire, 346 were died overall. Uh, we had 131 in addition to that that had committed suicide. Yes, so suicide I would say the, rela the relationship with police officers and communities are much better than police officers with municipalities, cities, and people that are in government especially in governments that are uh, progressive governments. And define that. What do you mean by that? Progressive, progressive governments being governments that are run by very liberal politicians, uh, such as, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, obviously, is California, where we've got a liberal governor, and then you can take and look at the murder rate and the... Uh, the horrible statistics that come out of uh, Chicago uh, every week we see. So we've got every place. And again, I know you don't like to go into politics, but pretty much almost every state that has a Democratic uh, government in a major city has a problem. Uh, most of the uh, cities that are governed by conservatives, and if you look at Florida, who has a governor that has really fought to keep the state conservatives to control the influx of illegal aliens. You see a whole different uh, set 
of values that are going on here, and you see the migration of people from out of state coming here. In fact, Florida has had more people come to it this year and not register the same as they were in other states, but register conservative in Florida. So you're going to see a big difference. Uh, And I believe in elections throughout the United States as we get into 2022. Um, Mr. Parks, how do you feel about what's going on? And I know you you were with there as cops. What is the situation here in Tucson locally? Well, I have to agree with Jim. It all trickles down to, I mean, even our cities, our, our counties and everything. Our counties uh, in Arizona seem to be pretty good. The communities love their deputies, their officers. And I, I, I'll even go out on them and say even Tucson, they support their officers. The officers just don't get the support at the government level. And Jim's correct about that. That's that's what we see here. That's what we see in Phoenix. Uh, some of the some of the because what happens in Phoenix usually translates down to Tucson. And what we're seeing is that we have some government officials that support the police, but they will not support them in public. Um, that's a problem. Big, yeah, and and that's the problem. They're they're more afraid of their uh, positions, their power and being reelected than they are worried about uh, taking care of our officers out there. So instead of doing the right thing, they're just worried about themselves. They're supposed to be public servants. Correct. Yeah, and and we have another group that's called the National Center for Police Defense that's been in existence since 2015, and we raised money to assist police officers that have done the job the way they were trained, and then they're charged with a crime. And we're seeing more and more of this. In fact, we can't keep up with it. We can't raise enough money. Raising money is very expensive. We get a small percentage of it. Uh, nobody other than one person gets a salary out of that, and that's the person that pretty much administers everything from it. Uh, we've given probably close to $2 million away since 2015. We, every day we have new cases coming in. The biggest problem right now are the uh, new woke and progressive the district attorneys that were elected with George Soros money. Uh, that And you've, again, we go back to California, uh, Gaston, uh, who is the DA of the LA County, uh, you know, he's letting people out of jail as fast, as fast as they can commit a crime and then get arrested. They're in, they're out and ready to commit more, more crimes and, and horrible crimes, murder, whatever, but he's still letting them out of jail. We've got them in Virginia. We've got them throughout the United States. Uh, in fact, uh, one that I uh, did a article for Town Hall on that was included is, uh, and you may be able to answer this better than I, is Laura Conover. Uh, everything I read about her is she's uh, more, maybe not quite as bad as Gaston, but uh, she also falls into that category uh, in Pima County as being a woke DA and uh, very progressive, letting people out of jail, no bail policy, things like that. And these are the things we need our courts to help the police officers. If they don't help the police officers after these people are arrested, 
the police officer's hands are tied. And then the other thing which we can get into is a lot of places are taking away qualified immunity for police officers, and that is one of the worst things that can be done. Well, I agree with that. Um, There are things going on, though, to try to um, protect our officers. Can you go into that? Well, I mean, there are uh, lots of different versions. At the federal level, Jim Banks from Ohio wrote, the biggest problem with qualified immunity, it's based on several court cases, and it's never been codified in legislation. So Jim Banks from Ohio in 2020 wrote a piece of legislation and tried to get it passed through the House. It, it actually went nowhere. Uh, we've assisted him. We actually do have a... Uh, a pack, a legislative arm. We assisted him with that. I tried to get it to move. Tried to get sponsors, and we ha- have not been able to. We were asked by um, CPAC to see if we could write a piece of legislation for the states to assist them, and if we could get the quali- get qualified immunity codified at the state level, it would be helpful when hopefully the house changes and we can get in there and get both a federal bill and then make it even tougher by making sure that all the states protect their officers with qualified immunity at the state level. So we both got a national bill and now I have uh, model state legislation that we're right now uh, trying to get it into the state house in Virginia, very short window there. We're working on it now, and we're going to uh, work with a group called American Legislative Exchange Council to get it out to other states or anyone who calls into our office. We'd be glad to send it out to them. Is that something that ASCOPs would do, Jim? I don't know. I'd stay I'm sorry. Go on. I'm sorry. Uh, to Jim, sorry. Mr. Parks, yeah, is that something that ASCOPs would, would um, do, promote? That's what we're doing now as far as the legislation. Uh, when we interview uh, candidates for AGs, that's one of our top priorities is them asking them about qualified immunity. Uh, because that everybody thinks that officers leave because of the money. Uh, just some of the stuff that Jim has brought up that we're dealing with here, this is why peop- this is why officers leave. And to put it in perspective, Phoenix last year lost 200 officers. They averaged 17 officers leaving the job every month. Wow. Uh, their, their call for service for um, critical incidents went up 40, 40%. I think it's like seven minutes now to, to a uh, level one crime to get response time. Uh, we, lost, we were losing nine officers a month down in Tucson last year. So it's um, that's what's driving the officers to go find other uh, professions, the, the lack of support, and you get you get rid of qualified immunity. I don't I don't see where you'd find an officer that would want to do this job. Yeah, I don't either. And you know, if if you don't have a law enforcement in place, what do you have? You chaos. You've got Anarchy. chaos. Exactly. Exactly, Jim. And, and that's what we're, we're working to. And, and my, and this is just my perception, is that we see police officers leaving the job. New York City 
when everything started, about 30% of the police officers that were, were ready to go left. And then you've got others that are leaving uh, due to the vaccination problem. And you're going to wind up, because of the people that are in the higher ranks of the police department, being much more progressive, you're going to wind up with a progressive police department. You have police officers not doing a job on the street, but going into restaurants and, and arresting people for not being vaccinated. And that's not the police we want. We want the police officers that are logical, qualified, and know how to do the street job. You had policemen arresting people for not being vaccinated? Yes. Where? They went to the restaurants in New York City, and they will arrest you. Jeez. And Didn't they just have a couple of some folks get arrested in New York at an arts uh, museum for not uh, showing their vaccination papers? That's I right. I thought I saw something on that. Yeah. Yes, and a child they, yes, they did. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, it's just amazing. Now, look. I retired in 1980, in, ni- in 1988. I know that at that time, we'd go, if, if we were told to do we'd go in, we'd talk to the people, but believe me, they would not be arrested. And I know that, you know, there are plenty of guys on the job that, you know, the logic is you don't arrest these people. What are we going to have our jail full of people that are you know, partially vaccinated and not vaccinated. It just seems to me to be an absurd problem that's going on. And I think the vaccination problem is not because people may or may not want to be vaccinated. It's the fact that the government is mandating vaccinations. Well, I think this whole vaccination thing is is way out of control. The There are certain countries you can't go to unless you've had certain vaccines and, you know... You can't start school unless you've had certain vaccines. Get over it. Get over it. I just forget it. But yeah, what everybody, I think what everybody's missing, though, Sherry, is the people that are getting hurt the most by this is the public. We're, as officers, we, we swore to serve the public and defend them. And with these policies that are being brought on and forced onto the officers and through uh I don't want to say, I guess I could say corrupt individuals out there. Um, we're doing a disservice to the public. You had, you know, what, in, uh, as of November 2021, there was 84 people that died in auto crashes here in Tucson. I mean, you, you, we're, not, we're, not, we're not out there servicing the public. We're, there's not enough officers to cover the, these areas. That's true. Yeah, they're they're tearing up units. There's no uh, crime units to go out and do undercover work. There's, you know, they they take motor officers off the streets and put them in squad cars and make them take calls because they're short. Uh, they're taking deputies off the streets to put them in the jails because they're they're firing um, uh, corrections officers for not getting vaccinated. So it, it's who this is hurting. It's hurting the public, and that's what we've got to understand. And that's. That's what our elected officials aren't, it seems like they don't care. And that's where it's going to take the public to stand up and say, hey, we've had enough. We want our police force back. Uh, we need to have some people that are willing to um, run, this, run this town, run this city 
the way it needs to be run and think of the people first and what your number one priority is to protect the public. And that's what that's what we're losing in all of this. We're losing focus in all of this. Oh, I think you're, so, you're, too. You're 100% correct, Jim. I agree with you. And to me, the perfect example of this was, as you know, the uh, administration in Virginia changed in November. But everybody saw how uh, the uh, pe- the residents of Loudoun County, Virginia, were protesting against CRT being taught in the schools. They were at the school board. They were protesting. They were, you know, raising their, you know, raising the awareness of what was going on in the schools. And yet, in the at the end of the vote, sixty-three percent of the county continued to vote. Would have still voted in the same group of people that are causing the problems. So it's very difficult to change people's minds, uh, especially, you know, in counties that are much more progressive, uh, as most of the Northern Virginia counties are. And, uh, and I use Virginia because I lived there for 23 years. I know what's going on. And that was one of the first places that we actually, uh, use our new super PAC to help get the, uh, new governor elected. Explain what, uh, CRP is to the listeners. It's critical race theory, and basically, I can give you the basics. It was established, I believe, in the late 30s. It was a several uh, professors from Yale, Princeton. They got together, wrote a theory that, and this, it it sounds strange that uh, whites are a privileged race to start out with. So you have to basically say that minority groups need to take the lead and show them that they are superior and put the Caucasian race back. And that's what's taught in school. So if you raise your hand and you're white, you would actually not take precedent over somebody who's a minority to answer a question. But it's much more in-depth than that. It is a whole massive paper on it. That was never used. And uh, it's it's so dehumanizing for uh, white America that uh, it just, it's, it's, should not be taught in any school. Everybody should be equal, and that's the way school should be. But these teachers, and especially the unions, and as far as I'm concerned, look, I, I was president of, the, of a union for years in New York, and I believe in police unions. I believe unions can do a great job, but when unions start pushing a concept, just because they're getting some kind of money from some other group or they're trying to support a candidate that's in office because they're going to get favors, that's wrong. Okay. You you also said that you have a PAC? We have two PACs, actually. Oh. and But we have what they call a hybrid carry committee, which can do 
many, many things. We can endorse. We can do independent expenditures. We can uh, assist candidates that uh, we believe uh, are honest and believe in the things that many conservative Americans believe in. We stand for law enforcement first and the rights of citizens to keep their arms. And what's the other pack? Or is that both of them? Yeah, the, the other pack is a subsidiary of the first one. So basically it supports each one. So a financial assistance? Yes. Okay. All right. I get it. I'm glad you're being supported. Let's support our law enforcement agencies. I, I feel sorry for the family. This this young man who was killed last night in New York was 22 years old. I know. They just started out their life. They were both very young, and this is happening every day. And, uh, I mean, I, I know that Jim knows that at the end of last year, it seemed like every day a police officer across the United States was being being shot or, or killed. Right now, we've got the one of our biggest problems in Travis County, in Travis County, Texas, we've got six police officers that are being charged with crimes from murder to uh, from from murder to uh, third degree assault for just having to stop a crime in motion. We have a one officer in that was a highway patrol officer in the Austin area. He's being charged with murder a year after he left the department and was a, was found not guilty of any crime. A year after a new district attorney was elected with Soros money, his name is Jose Garza, he charged him with murder. He's already in the FBI through the academy and is an active FBI agent. We have five more that are being charged there. He has a continuous grand jury going. Any white minority altercation, he brings the grand jury. I believe there are 17 being charged just in that city, down 110 officers. Do we have anything like that going on in uh, Arizona, Mr. Parks? No, not really. We, it's been... <laughs> We, I mean, we've had officers charged that, you know, for excessive force uh, shootings, but nothing to that extent. Yeah, that's and that's... it just goes to show that there's nothing. You know, everybody thinks, oh, it's just routine, a routine call. There's nothing. There's no such thing as a routine call. An officer when we go out, whether it's a traffic stop or a, a domestic violence or whatever, there's nothing routine about our our jobs out there. I don't think I'd be racing to a domestic violence call. <laughs> it's like they are the no. most dangerous. Yes, you sit and you wait for your backup and you go in together. Yeah. Uh, what happened? And I, from what I understand, that young man in New York was answering a domestic violence call. So, uh, yep. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, what about, you know, some of these people are being tried in the media before any of the details even come out? You've got city officials you know, making statements about something when all the evidence isn't in. Is that appropriate? Do you have that 
I know it, it's happened here in Tucson. Um, Mr. Fotis, has that happened in other areas where city officials just, you know, start bad-mouthing law enforcement after an incident? We have a case right now in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, again, his uh, police officer's name is Aaron Dean. He is being charged with murder. Uh, again, a case where he went, he did everything correct. He, it was, again, a young officer with his uh, partner uh, who also uh, young. They were, uh, I guess, about, they were 25 years old. And they had been on the department for a year. And it was a open-door call, 2 o'clock in the morning, in a rough area of town. They went there, walking around the house. He got to a uh, window. There was a person in that window holding a gun. He continually said, put down the gun, put down the gun, let me see your hands, let me see your hands. I believe he said it nine times, and then he fired one shot. Immediately. After that, the person had a legal firearm, thought that he was possibly somebody that was coming into the house to burglarize the house. I guess you couldn't see his uniform. It was late at night. The mayor and the police chief immediately condemned him as a murderer. Now he's going to trial. I guess uh, I believe we have trial next month. For him, it's a pure case of an accidental shooting. Even uh, similar, but not quite the same as the Kim Potter shooting in Minnesota. So uh, that's one of them. We had another one in New York, uh, Sergeant uh, Sergeant Berry, who also he went. He was with the AMTs. EMTs uh, had a person with a psychological problem. He talked her out of the coming out of the bedroom. She was trying to attack them with the scissors. And as she came out, she picked up a baseball bat and he also shot her, but followed procedure exactly how it was in their training manual. Immediately the mayor called him a murderer. And this, this goes against everything that should be happening. And, you know, you hear that, you're you're tarnishing the jury. Your jury pick everything is uh, changed immediately when the mayor of the city says something like that. Before there's any any information, uh, Sergeant Barry was acquitted in New York. But under the new circumstances, the way things have changed, it's become much more difficult. We have more and more police officers that are taking a plea because of fear that they're going to wind up going to prison for life. That's unacceptable. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Stay with us. Thanks for staying with us. Our guests today are Jim Fotis, who's the executive director of the Police Defense Coalition, and Jim Parks, the executive director of ASCOPS. Um, Mr. Fotis is calling in from Florida. Mr. Parks is calling in from Tucson. And (laughs) we've already had fun with two Jims on the phone. What was I thinking? (laughs) 
I, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> okay, I wanna I wanna tell everybody that uh, Tucson, thank God, has a new police chief. Um, Yay, <laughs> Mr. Parks! Tell us what kind of um, tell us the before he got here, and then what we anticipate. I'm I'm really anxious to have him change a lot of things. Well, uh, Chief Chad Kazmar came up through the ranks in Tucson, which is great to see. Um, it, it's a breath of fresh air compared to what was in Tucson. Magnus was brought in to destroy this agency, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, he may have done some good things. That's what I hear, but I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to find something he did right. Um, I think Chief Kazmar uh, has ties to this community. He cares about the men and women on that on the agency because he basically grew up with them. He, he worked with them all throughout his career. So he has, he has skin in the game. He cares about the community. He he lives here uh, to where Magnus had no ties to this community whatsoever. Could, could have cared less about this community. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be a great, it's a great change. And we're looking forward, we're looking forward to sitting down and talking with the chief. Yeah. So are we. I think I think <laughs> I think it'd be fabulous. And all the time we've been doing this show, um, Chief Magnus, in numerous invites to come on the show, not once, not once, not even as a call in. So it would be great to have the police chief come in and and tell us what he's thinking and what his plans are for the future. And we all what's have. Nice is, I'm sorry. What, what's nice is Chief Kazmar has been uh, with the department. When we were lean and when we were heavy, I mean, he was there when we had 1,200 officers. He's he's there when we had 700 officers. Yeah. Um, currently, what I've seen, what he put out is that uh, Tucson's down 120 officers now and about 70 staff, professional staff members. So I'm hoping that uh, he can bypass all the the politics and be able to start getting people to come to Tucson and uh, make that department the great agency it once was. And can be. And can be. Exactly. We have some amazing law enforcement people. And, you know, they need to be acknowledged. They need to be recognized. And that's across the country, too. And what happened in New York last night is a tragedy, an absolute tragedy. I can't imagine how that mom feels. I, you know, as a mom, you know. So... What can we I've been do? To too many funerals. I've been to way too many police officer funerals throughout my career, and even after being retired, uh, it, it's just it's it's got to stop. Yeah, it does. You've got to get control of it. And the the one thing that really struck me is um, last year we had a, a horrific situation at the train station where an, an officer, a special agent, was killed, and. The mayor never said a word, but as soon as something happens with law enforcement, and you know she's right there to condemn them. So did that did that surprise you? <laughs> with with no. the mayor of Tucson? <laughs> no, I'm I'm not surprised. I just think it's horrific because you're not you're not building a, a community by tearing it down like that. No. So, no. and that's that's the other thing that drives officers away. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's it's leadership. Bottom line, leadership. And how how do you treat these officers? How do you how do you make them feel supported? And uh, you know, hopefully that's all going to change 
uh, I, I think it hope I'm not hoping it. I think it will change with uh, Chief Kazmar. Uh, I, I see I see him make I see him making some big changes there, and uh, having the morale. I think the morale is going to improve. I think it's going to change the way people are looking at Tucson as well. I think yeah. it's a good choice. I think they made that's one of the best choices this city council has done in a long time. Is put Chief Gasmar in that position. Yeah, somebody who's brought in who's just using this agency as a stepping stone to further their career. Correct. So, absolutely. I want to talk about um, suicides are up, and not just here in Tucson, but across the country. What can we do? I mean, when you've got a situation where, you know, you're not being supported by the city council or the, you know, the mayor and your police chief, what can the citizens do to help support law enforcement when the chips are down? You know, and they've been down for a long time here. Uh, obviously, we're looking at things getting better, but what can the citizens do? Um, Mr. Fotis, can you can you respond? It- and, and I think uh, Jim will agree with me. I think it's a very, very difficult for anyone other than other police officers to actually help. A police community is a closed community. We only really trust each other. And, you know, getting on a suicide hotline, you know, it's, it's wives and close friends. Those are the ones that have to... to realize what's happening in that particular person's life and and why he would be thinking or she would be thinking about committing suicide suicide is more of a something private you know we always say that when you talk about suicide those are the people that aren't going to commit suicide but it's the ones that don't talk about it that hold it in and and they're the ones that commit suicide. So it's got to be more internal. It's got to be recognized by somebody in the family and then get them into some kind of counseling. It's a very, very difficult situation. I wish I could say, I wish that I could say, yeah, there's a way that people on the outside could help, but I don't really see it. I, and I, I Jim, I, I would like to know if you agree with what I'm saying. I I do agree with you. Unfortunately, last year, I dealt with nine officer suicides throughout the state. Four of those officers I knew personally just last year in the state of of Arizona that I knew of. Um, There's a stigma about this. If you go get help, they're going to take your gun away. They're Mm -hmm. going to fire you. They're going to do you for fitness for duty and kick you out of your career. That's the stigma. That's what every. That's the fear of every officer out there. Um, and I think we've got to change that. We have to get it to where these these officers get the help they need, and they can still retain the job. I don't. I don't understand why you want to get rid of somebody that's been out here, and this job has caused them some PTSD. They have PTSD, or they've been through so much on the streets that now they, they've been diagnosed with PTSD and you want to get rid of them. Uh, that what, where it needs to start is at the supervisory level. If you have an officer that is a straight, squared away 
officer, and all of a sudden he or she she starts having problems, having uh, outbursts of anger, or gets an excessive force complaint, you need to jump on that right away. You don't. Instead, what at least when I was working, what they would do is they'd start disciplining you instead of trying to get you to sit you down and say, "Hey, what's going on? What's happening here? Why? Are you, what's changing? What's going on at home? What, what's?" What happened on that call the other day? Are you okay? Do we need you to get to talk to somebody? Because something's not right here. You, you, you know, they change, and they'll they'll change. You'll get a great officer that all of a sudden is calling off sick all the time. Um, his report writing's bad. His his follow ups are poor. Maybe he's getting in fights out on the streets, and all they're doing is starting to write him up and discipline him. You know, oh, you're getting a rep- reprimand for this instead of sitting down and saying, like I said. Uh, What's going on? What's happening? Is there something going on at home? With, you know, that kind of thing. That's what we've got to get back. That's what we have to get to, and I hope that's what they're doing now. Yeah, I don't I, think... I hope so, too. Yeah, and uh, I don't think people really know what those red flags are. You take somebody that's really close to a person to understand, okay, the mood has changed or something's changed, and how do you help that person without offending them or making it contrary or you know and one of the one of the best advices i got and it was from a retired agent in florida actually he said the best advice you can give somebody coming on the department now is have somebody to talk to of course you know somebody who understands somebody you can trust because you need to talk to somebody because this job will change you and you can't told that yeah. yeah, I was told when I got on this job, they said, you need to have something other than this job. Do not let this career, this job define you, uh, because if you do, it'll it'll tear you up. Yeah. I said, you cannot let this career define you. Find some outlet. Go to the gym. Run. Go bowling. Do something other than this job. Don't do all your off. Don't do nothing. But I, I know guys that did they'd work, do off-duty where they're never home with their families. You can't do that. Yeah. Uh, that's That's what... That's what you got to kind of try not to do. And then that's when that job starts defining you. You can't let that do that. You can't let the job do that to you. I know. And and we've got to remember that in the last 20 years since Desert Storm, we've got a lot of military coming on the job. So they've got not only stress, some PTSD from uh the ju- from their military career, then it's being accentuated by being a police officer. Now they could get some kind of help from the VA or any type of employee assistance, which uh, most states have. But again, what Jim said, they just are in fear of losing their job. I mean, as much as you, you want to say that, you can't let being a police officer become your life. It does. And yes, I haven't <laughs> ever met, I haven't ever met, or I've met, let's say this way, I've met few that I, we had a case, we are actually helping them with the appeal in a little tiny town, Wilson, Oklahoma. Again, it took a year. First, they were told that nothing was going to happen in this case. They did everything 
correct, uh, and then they were charged by the same DA that originally told them that they were fine. They were charged a year later with manslaughter. So uh, the one uh, cop, four-man police department, no benefits whatsoever, no union to help them, no legal benefit. We, uh, I said to him, I said, can you tell me what you're getting paid? He said, 15.40 an hour. And I said, so if you're, you know, if everything goes well, you're acquitted, what are you gonna do? He said, I'd go back to work for nothing because I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah, it brought tears to my eyes. There's a lot of wow. people out there like that. They're very dedicated in doing the right thing and, and trying to make the communities better and trying to keep people safe. And they're risking their own lives in the process. And that's dedication. Yes, it is. So... What, what, how do you feel and how do you combat a um, trial by media? I mean, people, news media want to jump on that bandwagon and, you know, get the story out even if it's wrong. And the Rittenhouse case is a good example. Um, how do you combat that? I don't know that you do. This is a 24-hour news cycle, and it's all, it's all Hollywood for these reporters and these news stations. And that's what it, I mean, it, it's nothing but entertainment for them. So I don't, I, it's going to be hard, but I think as an organization, as as associations, as unions out there, when you're approached by the media, you just tell them, you don't, you don't, you no don't comment. take the bait. You just sit there and say, there's an ongoing investigation. We'll let the investigation uh, pan out, let it run its course. And then after that, we'll have a comment. But as for now, we're standing, you know, we're standing behind the investigation. And that's all you say. You don't you don't feed into it. You and I think that's what's happening is people feed in, people feed into this, and then they'll well we got these anonymous sources. You have officers that'll call and say, hey, this is what's going on out there. Well, we got to try to stop that. We you know we're supposed to be a brotherhood, the family. We need to start acting like it and protect one another. And, and I don't mean protect one another if you if you commit a crime. Exactly. That's not what we're saying. You know, we as an organization, uh, we don't want bad cops just like anybody else out there. Um, but I think what it is is it's time to stand up for our officers, stand up for what's right, and we deal with it that way. But I don't know if you can ever stop the trial by media. Uh, just like you were talking about the mayor talking about incidents when it happens. Well, the problem is there's no repercussion when she's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You can't sue her. She's a public official, so you can say what she wants and you to a point because officers are public officials. So it's kind of hard. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't sue her? She's a public official? How come officers are being sued? Well, that's what I'm trying to say is if if me as an officer, somebody sits there and calls me names and calls me certain, and I'm I'm not going to say I'm on the air, (laughs) um, I can't sue them. Thank you. I've got to be able to sit back and, and take it. Right. And it's kind of the same way when an officer, you know, she's, I'm talking about officers, not not the public. I'm talking about the officers and law enforcement. It's tough to sue a city official. We're trying to do that up in Phoenix right now because they have a sitting council member that's violating this uh, city charter by publicly saying that they should fire officers. You can't do that under the, the uh, 
city charter of Phoenix. So we're trying to, and that, that's what I'm telling you, it's difficult to do. So I don't know how you combat that. I really don't. It, it's difficult. It's expensive. You've got you've to fight it in the media the same way that they do, if the media will take what you're, you're doing and put it in the right uh, context. Uh, we've also, in addition, and again, this has been difficult at the federal level, it's called the law enforcement as you know, there's been so many police officers that have been uh, ambushed in the last two years. Yeah. So I was, I said, and what's happened, and I, I know that Jim has seen this, is it, it was that when you were charged with a crime as a law enforcement officer, you'd go to trial, whether you were convicted or acquitted, then there would usually be a civil lawsuit. Uh, if you were acquitted, there'd be a civil lawsuit after that. Now what's happening is we're seeing more and more, as we saw in the Chauvin case in Minnesota, immediately, right before the trial, they awarded the family of, of uh, George Floyd $23 million. Now, how does that look to the public? right before trial, well, you know, they believe that Chauvin was guilty, so they're giving this family all of this money uh, because they believe he's guilty. So what we've done is tried written legislation that would actually stop pretrial civil lawsuits. Now, whether that's going to be fought, but there is a way that there's a possibility that that would pass. And also, a lot of the small departments throughout the average police department in the United States is actually 20 men. They don't have all kinds of insurance. They don't have uh, life insurance. A lot of departments can't. And this is what we saw in Wilson, Oklahoma. So we've said any police officers that are ambushed, killed in the line of duty would fall under the federal death benefit. So at least their families would get whatever a federal officer that's killed in the line of duty would get if they're killed in the line of duty. So we're trying to get this put into law, and hopefully in the next year we would be able to get that put into law. And that would also pick up attorney's fees for them. But fighting City Hall... Is very difficult, very expensive. Some of our cases have gone into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Chauvin's case is into the millions. The the group that has picked up most of it is the Minneapolis Police, uh, the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association, and they are picking up all of the all of the legal expenses for all of the officers that are being tried. Two of the officers are in the street a week. Well, I think that's commendable that he's getting some help. And, you know, I hope I hope things turn out well for him. I'm, I'm still astounded that a drug addict would be awarded $23 million. Uh, and I, I think I've said it before. I know I've said it before. There wasn't one person on 9-11. Not one family received $23 million for the loss of their loved ones. So you have to put things in perspective. I would like to see that law that you're talking about. Um, can you send it to me? Can you send me anything on it? 
I sure can. We actually have it. I have a explanation. I have law actually written. I will send it to you. I'd be glad to send it to you. Uh, back when I was a little younger, I also wrote, I don't know if you remember, but I'm sure Jim does. I wrote H.R. 218, uh, which is the legislation that allows police officers to carry their firearm anywhere in the country or in any territory. It was passed in 2004, and now it's a Police Officer Protection Act, and it was signed by George Bush in July. Yep. I remember that well. <laughs> I'm a benefactor. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Um, to sum this up, because we only have like three minutes left, what can the average citizen do to help support law enforcement all across the country? Not just locally, everywhere. What can we do to help make things better? That's a t- that's a tough question. I, I I think just show your support. I mean, um, yeah, I I would go to restaurants when I was in uniform. People would. I mean, that was time when law enforcement was well liked, I guess. But you go to a restaurant, I couldn't buy my own lunch. Yeah. And stuff, and then just to show you the appreciation, I, you, people come up to you and say, "Hey, thank you for what you do out here. I know you don't get the support you deserve." I mean, that means a lot to us. Whether you think it does or not, it really does to have somebody come up and just say, "Hey, you guys are doing a good job out here." Because the men and women out there don't hear that enough, and it, it, that goes a long way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That thank you goes a long way. And then if you hear, if you're you in a certain municipalities, you hear that they're trying to take protections away from police officers, right to your local city councilman, your local congressman, your local uh, state representatives, and say, you can't do that. Don't take this away from police officers. You'll be just, you know, destroying our police department, our county, our city, our municipality. We need protection. We want them taken care of. So a letter to everybody. Do you have an, a, a sample of one of those letters that you can forward to me? I'm, I'd be happy to promote. I don't have a sample, but I'll write one for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think, you know, you're in the business and you understand the verbiage that, you know, would maybe hit the mark. And if you could do that, that would be awesome. I'd appreciate it. And, of course, I'll share sure it with everybody. Will. And and by the way, Jim, I love Arizona, so let's see what we can do out there and get it. So do I. That's why I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you're you're from Arizona, aren't you, Mr. No, Parks? I originally no, I originally came from Ohio back in 1978. Oh, I've been I've been in Arizona since '78. You've been here a long time. I'm from Chicago, yeah. but you know, here we are, and it's nice and warm out. And it's warm in Florida, too. What part of Florida are you in? It is. I'm in Palm Beach County. Oh, nice. So, it's, yeah, it's it's warm here. Today it's probably going to go up to about 80. So, yes, yeah, so I went. I was in Virginia and Washington last week, and let me tell you, it's a shock. I never thought, like, in Florida when it goes down to 60, I feel like it's cold. When I was in Virginia last week and it went down to 28, <laughs> I had to get it. I had to get inside. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit nippy. I want to thank you both for getting up early and, and calling in today. I really appreciate your insight and what's going on. 
But until next week, I want everybody to shop local, stay safe, and support law enforcement. Say thank you.